0: It's hard to believe that six weeks ago we began a series called The Amazing Miracles of Jesus. During these weeks, we have focused each week on a separate miracle of Jesus. hard to pick out just five or six, but we, we did. And each of these amazing miracles taught us something of Jesus' power to do different things. His power to provide our needs. His power to deliver us when we're oppressed. His power to heal the sick. His power to transform as we saw water turned into wine. Tonight, we turn to the most amazing miracle of all. The miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He exhibits power over death. The ultimate enemy. Power over hell. And power over the grave. 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived a perfect life and yet was betrayed, suffered at the hands of Pilate and others that sent him to a criminal's death to hang on the cross, a tree just outside of Jerusalem. And after he died, he was buried in a tomb. And as you look at the screen as we introduce tonight's message, We'll see what happened after three days. He's back. That's my favorite part of that. He's back. (laughs) Thank you. Amen. Wow. That depicts the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to take a little bit of time with you tonight to talk about this incredible miracle. And we'll begin by turning to a couple of key scriptures to begin with this evening if you want to you have your bibles with you in whatever form uh, you may turn them please first of all to first corinthians chapter 15 first corinthians chapter 15 and we will read from verse 17 so much that we could read here in fact i think i'll just before I read that verse, I'm going to read a previous verse. I'm going to start in verse 3, and then I'm going to skip over and after a couple of verses over to verse 17. We'll focus on that. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And now skipping over to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. See that. And if Christ has not been raised. Then your faith. Is futile. And now. Into the book of Acts. Just one very brief verse. From Acts chapter 1. After his suffering. He showed himself to these men. His disciples. And he gave many. Convincing. Proofs that he was alive. You see, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was determined to provide us evidence for the fact that he was the Messiah, that he was who he said he was. Before we examine this, a little bit more and I want to just emphasize some of that evidence with you I want to tell you about a story that I heard recently about a grandfather I can relate to this of course being a grandfather myself heard a story about a grandfather who wanted to see how much his little four-year-old granddaughter knew about the Easter story you know we have to check up on our grandkids make sure they're getting it right he put her on his lap when this particular Easter and said Julie tell me why Do we celebrate Easter? Any of you ever asked your kids that or grandkids? Why do we celebrate Easter? Because there's a message that's a different message going around today. Okay, anyway. Why do we celebrate Easter? And without any hesitation, she answered and said, Well, Jesus was crucified, and he died. His body was put into a grave. They rolled a big stone in front of the grave. A bunch of soldiers guarded the tomb and on the third day there was a big earthquake and the stone rolled away. The grandfather was so pleased and overjoyed that she had given this correct answer about the Easter story, but she continued. And when the earthquake happened, the entire town came out by the grave and if Jesus came out and saw a shadow, they knew that there would be six more weeks of winter. Well... At least Julie got most of the story right. Tonight, I just want to make sure that we all have the story right. Amen? I want to first, of all, I want to do two things tonight. The first thing I want to share with you is the evidences, three specific evidences of this miracle, the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. And then we're going to talk about some specific life questions that are answered for you and for me from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. First of all, as I read to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. Listen to me carefully. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is either one of the most horrible, wicked, heartless, vicious hoaxes That has ever been conceived. Or it is the most fantastic fact in human history. It's one or the other. And so I want to suggest to you that it is the latter. It is the most fantastic fact. It is factual. If it is factual, and I'm going to show you some evidence, (coughs) then it demands that we make a decision. There's a book written many, many years ago helping Christians to know what they believe. It was written by a man named Josh McDowell, and it was simply entitled Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. When you see the evidence and you review the evidence, it requires all of us to make some kind of verdict. Carrie was recently called into um, the court in the city of Suffolk for her jury duty. And she endured, I don't know, about four days of lots and lots of testimony, lots and lots of presentation from the prosecuting attorneys and from the defense attorneys. And after all was said and done, she and the other jurors we were asked to render a verdict regarding this man who was accused and indicted of horrible crimes. But the instructions of the judge to the jury were clear do not base a decision upon rumors, don't base a decision upon what you've heard in the press, don't render a decision based upon anything other than one thing. What was that? The evidence. Let the evidence determine the verdict of this man. You know, the same is true when we review the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And here's what I'd like to do. I want to just mention to you three simple pieces of evidence. I'm not going to take a lot of time on each of them, but I think it's helpful just to focus on them. Three pieces of evidence that when you put them together, provide us what Acts says in chapter 1 and verse 3. A convincing proof. You see, when after Jesus was raised from the dead, he went and he appeared, as we saw in this story, to his own closest disciples. But then he continued to appear over 40 days. Jesus is popping in and out of rooms in his glorified body, walking through walls and doors, appearing to those who had been Followers of his, the scripture tells us, well over 500 people he appeared to. Showing them, here I am. Everything that I told you has come true. Everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament has come true. Here it is. What was he trying to do? Provide convincing proof. And he did that. Tonight, if we were evaluating this like a jury, what would we want to consider? The first piece of evidence I would suggest to you Exhibit A, if you will, is the empty tomb. The empty tomb. The Bible teaches us that after the professional executors had killed Jesus, his corpse was placed in a solid rock tomb. And after his body was covered with literally many, many pounds of spices, it was extensively wrapped in strips of linen cloth, the linen cloth that you saw laying inside the empty tomb. And Then a very, very large stone, most historians estimate over two tons in weight, was then rolled in front of the entrance of the tomb to safeguard the tomb. After the boulder was put in place, maybe you're deceived by seeing so even some movie renderings of this and uh, most commonly you usually see two or three soldiers Roman soldiers guarding the grave don't you did you know the historians actually say that more likely there were up to about 16 Roman soldiers assigned to secure this tomb why there was great suspicion afoot that something was going to happen to the body of Jesus primarily you say well why would the Romans want to guard the grave of Jesus because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of that day, had convinced the Romans that the disciples were probably going to try to pull off some kind of a hoax and remove the body of Jesus in order to substantiate and provide false evidence of his claims to be Messiah. And so in order to protect them from that, They, thinking that they were going to keep Jesus' claims from being verified, they made certain they put a whole group of Roman soldiers. Can you imagine four groups of four protecting that grave to make sure nothing happened to it? By the way, these Roman soldiers were no joke. They were human fighting machines. Not only well-trained, but they were literally gladiators, and they were trained to protect the area around the tomb. Matthew 27 and verse 66 tells us that in addition to the Roman guard, this is in addition to the Roman guard of 16 soldiers, they put a tamper-proof official Roman seal on the stone, on the stone that had been rolled up there to protect the grave. So that if anyone happened to mess with a the grave, they would know. Anyone who had happened to make it past the Roman soldiers would then have to somehow break the seal and, by the way, incur Roman punishment of the law. But in spite of all those precautions, what happened? Soldiers seal the stone on Easter Sunday morning. The grave was empty and the stone have been rolled open. When the very first people arrived, they peered in, they saw only one thing blood stained burial garments. That's it. As if Jesus had somehow materialized right through them the empty tomb. Don't you think that the empty tomb is pretty powerful evidence that Jesus? is alive and that the resurrection was not fiction but it was actually a fact i think probably the second most compelling evidence that i could suggest to you tonight was the evidence that we see by multiple witnesses have you ever thought about that the multiple witnesses that we see in the story you see early christians the early Christians that did not believe that Jesus had risen, they didn't believe it just because, they might choose to believe it not just because of the empty tomb alone, but the people who were convinced by these proofs believed it because they saw him with their own eyes. Mary Magdalene saw him with her own eyes. He appeared there, as we saw in the upper room, to whom? His disciples. He appeared to them in his resurrected body. And we know that over and over again, they repeated, we saw Jesus alive. We saw Jesus alive. This has to be one of the most outstanding pieces of evidence that Jesus did rise from the dead, Because more than 515 eyewitnesses saw him, and if you count them up, on more than 12 occasions. All of that over a 40-day period in order that his claims would be validated. You see, if Jesus truly rose from the dead, everything he claimed about the fact that he was God, he was not only the Son of Man, but he was also the son of God. All of it would be validated because he was now alive. Several people saw him on even more than one occasion. Some alone, some in large groups, all different kinds of settings. So you have to somehow argue, if you're going to find this to be fiction, you're going to have to somehow argue with testimonies. 515 people. I think most of you know from watching enough Law and Order that, um, or whatever courtroom show you have had to happen to watch, one of the most powerful legal proofs is first-hand witnesses. All right? If you have a first-hand witness, someone who is an eyewitness on the scene, I mean, even, you know, Evening news is called eyewitness news. What's the deal? What's the big deal about an eyewitness? It's the most compelling proof if you have an eyewitness. Listen to me. There was not just one eyewitness of this greatest miracle of Jesus. There were over 500 who would stand up and go into a courtroom, a court of law, and stand and testify to what they had seen. Now, as you ponder those two facts of evidence, may I present just one more? The third evidence changed lives. Changed lives. I happen to believe this is an also a compelling argument. You see, those who met the resurrected Jesus were never to be the same again. Do you think Thomas would ever be the same do you think that peter would ever be the same they were transformed peter was actually changed from what only two days before he fulfilled jesus what he said he said you're going to deny me three times before tomorrow morning no way no way it ain't happening jesus i would never do that but we know he did and yet we see all of a sudden something happening to peter From the time of the resurrection until the day of Pentecost, Peter was transformed. He was made into a new man. That which he once was, Simon, the reed, blue in the wind, easily blown around, tossed back and forth. Now he's made into the name Jesus gave him, the rock. He was made into a rock. Why? Because his life had been changed forever. Once you come in touch and have a relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a relationship. And if I don't in any way mean to disparage someone's images of Jesus always on the cross. Because yes, he did go to the cross. And he paid a horrendous sacrifice for us. But the good news is that we celebrate tonight is the fact he did stay on the cross. He did not stay on that cross, and he did not stay in the tomb. And so the fact of the resurrected Lord changes people's lives. Something happened to radically reorient this original group of followers who had basically, if you read in John chapter 20, you see when, when, it, when it's introducing Jesus showing up and appearing to them. Do you know what it says? They're all hunkered down in the upper room, fearful, fearful full of fear, freaking out. Because they were followers of this man who just got killed. What were they thinking? I'm next. I've got to be on the list. And now that they had seen that everything he said about himself was true, it changed everything. Instead of confronting the disciples for not standing with him in his time of need, he simply showed up and said, Peace. Be with you. Lots of changes in those people's lives. Every one of them had changed from doubt to determination, from confusion to conviction, from fear to faith. So much that they were willing to give their own lives. They died martyr deaths. Horrible martyr deaths. What would you be willing to die for? The only thing you're willing to die for is someone who has so radically transformed your life. Jesus did that for the disciples, and he continues to do it today. I don't bet you, but those are pretty strong pieces of evidence. And so I suggest to you that tonight, before you leave, we have to make a decision evidence demands a verdict Carrie and her jury was not allowed to leave and finish their job until what? They gave the verdict and the judge announced it so we must make a verdict as well before we do that though I'd like to just offer to you something also I think very practical five questions that are answered by the resurrection these are very practical questions that all of us live with number one is the question of doubt. The question of doubt. The question that comes to all of our minds is, first of all, regarding the death and the burial and the claims of Jesus and the resurrection, we ask the question, what? Is it really true? Was it really true? How can I know that it's true? What is truth? Just like Luke, I'm sorry, just like Thomas, who wouldn't believe until he could actually touch the wounds of Jesus? Aren't you impressed with the, the grace that Jesus showed to be willing to allow Thomas to even touch his scarred hands? You know, he's got patience with us even in our doubts. But all of us, it's understandable to have doubts. But what we must do is allow the question of doubt to be dealt with by God's Word and His assurances. You see, the resurrection has the power to dispel doubts from our minds. You can tonight, with faith in Christ, the doubt of who Jesus is, the doubt about whether or not anything has ever happened to you. I talk to a lot of Christians who are, are, are supposed Christians, who, who are wondering, maybe I made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe I didn't, I don't know, and they go back and forth and they toss back and forth with all kinds of doubts and all kinds of questions because they've never established with great assurance, yes, that is true, and I put my trust in Him, and what the Bible says is true, and that is that all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And When you settle this truth, the doubts, have to vanish. The scripture tells us in James chapter 1, several verses that talk about wisdom. and It says, if you ever lack wisdom, pray. It's pretty good advice, wouldn't you agree? If you ever lack what well, you don't ever know what to do, just pray and ask God. And it makes us a great promise. It says, and he will give it to us. And he won't, he won't just give a little bit. he just give it to you abundantly. He won't hold back anything. And immediately after that, Strong promise, the scripture says, but when you pray, don't doubt. Don't doubt. Because if you doubt, it's like someone who's being tossed around by the waves of the sea. And it says, and if that happens to you, you can't really receive from God. Don't doubt. Let your doubts tonight be settled by the claims and the evidence of what Christ has done that we celebrate this weekend. The second question that all of us from time to time deal with is the question of loneliness. It's an issue that any human being, if they're honest, will admit to struggling with. The question that we ask is, does anybody really care about me? Does anybody really love me? Does anybody really care what happens to, uh, to me? I think the most common question that people ask today is, do I matter? Do I matter? I've got good news for you. People matter to God. And if people didn't matter to God, the story would be different tonight. But the truth of the matter is, John tells us in his gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave you see he cares about us the resurrection proves that you matter deeply to god and i know it's hard to imagine but even if you were the only person on earth that was a sinner jesus would have still died for you and he would have still been raised from the dead just for you why because he loves you. Because Jesus has died for us and rose again. He demonstrates how important we are to him. And now he wants to meet your deepest loneliness. He wants to satisfy those deepest needs for intimacy, for relationship, for communion. Did you know that God creates people with a whole? With this hole, this missing piece of our life. And the only thing that satisfies that hole is Jesus Christ. That's it. And until we accept that into our lives, loneliness and worse will dominate and run rampant. I think of Jesus and his disciples. They were feeling pretty lonely that day, weren't they, when he showed up in the upper room. But after he showed up, everything changed. There's another question that I think is worth addressing, and that is the question of weakness. The question is, where do I find power? I feel powerless. I don't know that I've got the strength of the power to make it much less make a difference. How can I find power to change? Maybe you have habits. We all have have experienced the bondage of habit patterns. The good news is that the, the resurrection of Jesus proves to us that he can transform you just like he did Peter, just like he did John and Thomas and the others. They were weakened men, and yet he changed them into powerhouses that turned the world all the way around, right side up. Are you feeling weak? The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through 21, in this great prayer uh, declaration, uh, affirmation that Paul shares with the church at Ephesus, he said that you can discover, I'm praying that you would know and discover the power that's inside of you. It is the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave. <clears throat> that same strength and power that was exhibited. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus split the tomb wide open and was raised from the dead powerfully, think about how much power it would have taken to bring Jesus up from the depths of the earth, where he had descended into paradise. Bring him all the way back up and (gasps) open up that grave. You ever heard the saying, you can't hold a good man down? I've got a better one. You can't hold a perfect man down. You can't hold Jesus down. And once we allow him to have full control over our lives and to fill us with his presence and his power and his spirit, guess what? We have that same resurrection power. Abiding, living, flowing through us. Number four, fourth question, significant one. How do I get rid of my guilt? I'm always struggling with this issue of guilt. I'm feeling condemned. I feel bad about everything. The good news is is that the resurrection answers the question of guilt. That's good news, isn't it? Good news that we need this weekend is the fact that the resurrection is final proof that your guilt was laid on the cross. The truth of the matter is, we're all guilty. We're all sinners, the Bible says. We've all missed God. But the good news is that all of that sin problem was laid on that wooden cross when Jesus hung on it. He paid the price so that you and I don't have to. He died, paid the penalty for sin so you and I could stand here tonight and say, we're free. We're free from guilt. We don't have to live under that burden, heavy, heavy load of guilt anymore. The resurrection validated that transaction. Are you hearing me now? The resurrection validated that, proves that, that Jesus was your substitute. And you don't have to live guilty any longer. One more question and we'll close. It's the question of death. How many times have you asked the question, What happens to me when I die? Well, I mean, kids start asking that question when they're four years old. What happens? What happened when Paul Paul, we went to that funeral? What happens when people die? What is death all about? How do we make sense of dying? Did you know that that's a question? It's one of what we call one of the big questions. But the good news is because of what Jesus did for you, you can now know that there is life beyond the grave. There's life on the other side. Death is simply a transition. Yeah. And the good news is, if you and I know that we're believers, we know that Christ is our Lord and our Savior, we have a confidence to know that when we go through the door of death, that we'll enter into an eternal life in heaven and spend it with God in his presence for all of eternity. No more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness. Can someone say amen? I mean, come on. I mean, this is that's pretty good news, isn't it? The question of death is settled in our mind. We no longer need to fear it. We don't even need to wonder about it. We can simply thank God that we know what's going to happen because it is a proven reality. Yeah, like the movie title says, heaven is for real can I just close tonight by asking you a serious question before you can benefit the answers to these questions in your personal life you have to make a decision is there enough evidence that would prompt me to take a step of faith I'll just say this to you in closing You'll never, if you're trying to deal with it purely based upon facts and arguments, and intellectual debate, you'll argue it for the rest of your life. But hopefully there's enough evidence you can see for what I've shared with you and read to you tonight that there's enough evidence that all of us can say it's enough evidence for me to take a step of faith. But it always takes a step of faith. But the Bible says that if we take a step of faith in response to what he's done for us, he'll change us. He'll give us new life. He'll give us salvation, which simply means the forgiveness of sins and a new life. How many of you have enjoyed living as new people through the forgiveness of Jesus? Has that been, I mean, there's nothing to compare, is it? Nothing to compare with that. I want to ask that you would just stand to your feet for a moment. As we close the service. I think it's healthy. For us who have been followers of Jesus. To restate. Our commitment to him. If you're here tonight. And you've never made the decision. to I'm not talking about playing church. I'm not talking about religion. And I'm not talking about what your parents did. Or what your religious pedigree is. I'm talking about the decision you have made. With your life and your future. If you've never made the kind of final decision, I will follow Jesus. I'm going to put myself at your feet. You can now manage my life. And when you make that decision, the return, the dividends are unbelievable. Forgiveness, peace, joy, on and on we could go. So tonight I'm going to ask, If you've made Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord in your past, would you reaffirm that tonight? The cross, what happened at the cross, demands a decision. What happened at the resurrection that we celebrate this weekend should give us the conviction we need to make it. So if you've made that decision, I want you just to reaffirm it. And tonight, if you're here, And maybe you're not certain if you've ever completely put your trust in Jesus Christ and become a new person, a born again follower of Jesus Christ. You can do it tonight as we pray. You can do it tonight as we pray. Pray from your heart. Repeat these words after me, everyone. Lord Jesus, tonight, I choose to put my faith in you. I see the evidence. It's overwhelming. But I'm choosing to ask your forgiveness for all my sins. Oh, there's so many of them. But I thank you that you do love me. And I believe that you died for me personally. And I'm accepting your forgiveness, I'm making the choice. To turn from my old life and turning to you. I'm putting my trust in you. Take over my life and use it in whatever way you need to. Tonight, I accept and I receive by faith new life through Jesus Christ. You just tell him how much you love him right now say lord thank you so much for making me a new person thank you for forgiving my sins thank you tonight lord for turning me around giving me hope where i had no hope now as our heads are still bowed is there someone here tonight that prayed that prayer tonight And you're not sure that you ever meant it before tonight but you know that you meant it tonight and you'd like to mark this occasion tonight as a beginning point in your spiritual walk. Is there anyone tonight? Just raise your hand and just let me know because we want to help you, we want to support you, not to make a scene. But just raise your hand and say, tonight I made that decision firmly and I'm not afraid to admit it. Anybody here tonight would like to just raise your hand and say, tonight, that was a, that was a definite, defining moment for my life tonight. Anyone here at all? I don't want you to hesitate after the service. If You need to talk to someone. I'm going to ask that maybe Will would come and stand here and maybe uh, Dan and Leslie would also stand at the front. Just for anyone who has a need tonight, maybe you didn't raise your hand there, but you really did make a firm decision and you just want to declare that to someone and ask for prayer. Or maybe tonight you have a personal need and you just want someone to agree. There's power in prayer and agreement. And so as these prayer teams come up to here to to receive your request and to pray and agree with you, they'll be here for you. But we have a lot to rejoice for this weekend, don't we? So, Lord, I bless the people tonight. I bless them with your peace. I bless them with a new sense of confidence in who you are and who they are now that they are changed and transformed through you. Lord, help us, empower us to make a difference this week for you through our words, through our practices, through our behavior. In Jesus' name, amen.